Imagine the idea for the ancients of a God who was willing to come down and to allow himself to be known by name. You and I know each other. We know each other. We know our names. Know the names of you. You know the name of me. If you don't, my name's Paul. Um, Paul doesn't convey much of my character. Uh, but you know a little bit about me now. You know my name. If we spent a bit more time talking, you would know more about me. I would know more about you. I would get to know your name. I would get to know more about you. Imagine for, for God who created everything to be willing to say, I will allow you to know me personally. That was mind-blowing for the ancient world. The idea that God would be willing to allow himself to be personally known. You know, that is one of, that's at the very heart of the Bible, that idea that God is willing to be personally known. I want you to know me, not just as some mega force, some superpower, some extreme being who is distant. I want you to know me closely, deeply. I want you to know my name. He opened it up. But then, as he, as he allowed himself to be known more and more and more, he then put a caveat on it. He said this. I am the Lord, in Isaiah we read, that is my name. So again, he's reinforcing what he said to his people again and again through history. This is my name, Yahweh. That, that, the word that we have there is, Lord is Yahweh. It's the, it's the Old Testament Hebrew word uh, that we have now, Lord. It's my name. My glory... I give to no other. You know, one of the distinguishing features about God is that, yes, he is willing to allow himself to be known. You can know me. But I am unique. If we don't get our heads around the idea that God is unique, if we don't get our heads around the idea that at the same time God is saying to us, I want you to really know me deeply personally in a way which is intimate in our relationship. But at the same time, you better know that I am, I am who I am. God is not some kind of pal that we get to know on a level. He, is, he remains a God of glory and majesty, a God of greatness. He says, my name is Yahweh, that's my name, and I'll give that glory to no one. Why, why have we raised that? Why is that so important? Because look at what we read here. Look at what we're reading here. What name do you think, if you, if you could... It sounds almost blasphemous, but bear with me as I say this. Imagine if you could enter into the mind of God and you could say, you could ask the question, which name is above every name? What name do you think God would come up with? If God came up with any name other than his own name, 
He wouldn't be God, would he? <laughs> he would, if, if he said, as he thinks about that, as God ponders that question, which name is above every name, if he comes up with anything other than Yahweh himself, there's a problem. And so God says, look, my name is Yahweh. I am the Lord. I'll give it to no one. And then we read here, he gives Jesus the name that is above every name. He says, I give Jesus my name. That's being exalted. I give Jesus my name. It's not as though he didn't have the name of God before. God was always one. But it's as if he's saying now, I am going to declare that Jesus has my name. He now bears my name. It's as though Jesus is now crowned with the name God, Yahweh. Lord, he now bears my name. The name that he always had as my son has now been publicly declared as his name. I've exalted him. I've taken him from the mess of this world. I've taken him from a broken body on the cross. I've taken him from the tomb and I am now lifting him so that he is way up there. Isn't that incredible? He declares his name to be his own name. If we were amazing, in fact, there was a story of a, uh, a king, incredibly rich, ancient king. I can't remember the name of the king, uh, but one of the ancient kings in one of the, the great empires who didn't have a son and an heir, he was just out one day and took, literally, a, a, an orphaned beggar boy off the street and brought him into his palace. As part of the process of declaring him to be his heir, he gave him his name so that whatever it was, it was repeated again. It's kind of like that, but with a difference. Because Jesus always had it before. He was always the Son of God. Yet from this state of brokenness in this world, he is now lifted up and he is declared Lord. What does that mean for us today? Well, the writer goes on to say, so that at the name of Jesus, isn't that interesting? He's been given a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Jesus and Lord almost become now uh, the definition of the Lord. That's why we have Lord Jesus. Uh, Yahweh Jesus, if you want to, to kind of create the connection, Lord Jesus, Messiah Jesus, the Christ these titles that describe Jesus for who he is, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, 
under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just think about that for a minute. What's that saying? What's it saying in relation to what has previously been said? What has previously been said is that God has declared Jesus as Lord. And now he invites us. In fact, he invites every creature in the whole of the cosmos to join in that direct declaration. You see what's happening? He says, I've raised him. I've given him a name that is above every name. I've declared that. And now, every knee will bow. Every creature will declare that Jesus is the Lord. Every knee should bow to that name, the one that is now recognized by God and recognized by us. God has declared Jesus as Lord and invites us now to do the same. Now, it might sound strange, but that is like, it's like the joint that is dislocated slipping back into place. That recognition, that understanding that God is who he is, Jesus is who he is, it's like everything clicks back into place. We are who we should be when we understand and we declare that Jesus is the Christ, when we understand that we bow the knee to Jesus when we understand that what our role and purpose and objective and most satisfying experience in life is, is to declare that Jesus is the Christ because God finds satisfaction in it. The Father in heaven finds satisfaction in declaring the Son to be who he is. And now he says to every one of us, now you come and enjoy just the same. I want to ask the question, therefore, is Robert Browning's view naive? God, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. How does that fit in? How does the sweep of the Bible fit in? I want to read a few verses for you from the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 says this. Could find it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. 
What's our objective? Who are we? What are we to be? The Bible makes it really clear that we were first made, we were first created to be people who enjoyed and worshipped God. We end up broken, separated from God. But this says at the end, we once again become worshippers of God. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Isn't that a wonderful thought? His name will be on their foreheads. The name that is given to Jesus becomes somehow imprinted, not in his glory, but as those who are owned by him. We become those who bear his name. We become adopted into that family. We become those who find our worth, find our existence, find our being as worshippers of God. That's the goal. I just very quickly want to close with this idea. Do you see the pattern that happens in the life of Jesus? Because it's the pattern that happens in the world and it's the pattern that happens for individuals. Jesus, exalted, glorified in heaven, leaves that, comes down into this broken world, restores the world through his redeeming power, and returns to glory. Isn't that the pattern of the world that the Bible lays out? It starts perfectly. It starts in synchronized relationship with God. And then there is a crisis And the world becomes humbled and broken and finds final resolution when Jesus returns and we become worshippers of that Jesus. But then, for individuals, for God's people, for the church, we find from that brokenness in Jesus, we find restoration And we become those who worship him. Where does this end up? Verse 11 says that it's to the glory of God the Father. All of that points to the Father. As the Father points to the Son, as the Father raises the name of his Son, it points to the Father as well. And there is just this kind of cycle of satisfaction just it's as though the father and the son are continually pointing to each other and finding this is just satisfying and then he says to you and to me now he says i invite you to join in that satisfaction I invite you to enter into the satisfaction of exalting the Son and so exalting the Father and in exalting the Father, the Son will be exalted. Come and join in that because then you'll be satisfied. And then the issues of life will not be resolved because the final resolution To be perfectly honest, there are issues that you know and I know will not get satisfied in this world, will not be resolved in this world. There is some stuff that won't end up right. But you know, the Bible says that ultimately it is resolved. 
in Jesus because ultimately we will be satisfied worshippers of him. I'm looking forward to that day. And at the same time, there is just trepidation about that day because it just seems so overwhelmingly big. It just seems so breathtakingly beyond my understanding. In fact, I look at that day, the idea of Jesus suddenly being revealed in such a way that it dispels all evil, all wrong, all brokenness, so that he is finally satisfyingly restored in that exalted place. And that fills me with fear. Because it's too big. And that's why he says, I invite you now to be a worshipper of me, to find satisfaction in me, so that you will not fear that day. Do not stand opposed to me until that day, because if you stand opposed to me until that day, you will be opposed to me for eternity. I invite you now to find satisfaction in me, to find purpose, to find worth, to find a life which is back, clicked into place, which understands God is in his heaven. All is right with the world, not because it's all right now, but because I know it is secured for eternity.